Welcome to the Southbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you are here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. Welcome everyone, my name is Angel, for those of you who don't know me. It is a privilege and a blessing that I get to be here this morning. Um, thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to close off the year. That way I can set him up the bar right here so he can come in next week. Real explosive. Um, and he did say I have about an hour and a half, so prepare yourselves. Yeah. Amen. I like that. No, and, but every time I preach, I always like to give a disclaimer. If there's anything I say that offends you, you're going to have to pray. Take it up to Jesus because this is what he told me to say. Amen? I'm kidding. If I offend you, I apologize. But anyways, for, I want to welcome, uh, once again, everyone, but I also want to welcome those who are here for the first time. You guys are our valued guests this morning. So thank you. Thank you for being here with us. If you just witnessed us singing, they're like, Christian karaoke, what is this? You know, it'll make sense. It'll make sense the longer you start coming back, I promise. Um, and for those who are watching online, we just want to thank you for joining in. I hope everyone so far has been blessed by the worship. They did a great job, amen? Um, and so, a quick show of hands. Um, well, first of all, good job, guys. We made it. It's the last day of the year. Great job. You know, because unfortunately, a lot of people didn't, right? Um, but you did. And quick show of hands. Who here accomplished most of what they set out to do this year? Or the majority of it, or say, like, I killed it. Anybody? Yeah. Nice, there's a couple of you. I definitely did not. Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this next group, um, but how about those who set out to do a lot and hardly accomplished anything? You know, life just happened. You know, um, anxiety kicked in, just a series of unfortunate events kicked in, and you just found yourself frozen. Um, no, yeah. I know there's a lot of us. You don't have to show, raise your hands, right? And so for those people, the, the fact of a new year, you're dreading the fact that there's a new year starting tomorrow for the possibility of all those anxieties, of all those failures to follow you into this new year, right? Am I the only one? But how about those who are like, man, I am ready to kick next, next year's butt. Nobody likes you, okay? So don't raise your hand, okay? I'm kidding, but... Well, no matter what, where you stand, my question I want to ask you this morning is, um, where does your hope lie in? You know, what motivates you to keep killing it every year? And for those who just uh, had a bad year, what do you put your hope in when it doesn't turn out the way you want to? When it doesn't turn out the way you plan? Because we can plan, right? We can plan and plan and plan, but we can't control what happens to us. So this morning, again, I ask, where is your hope? You know, do you have hope for a better tomorrow? Hope for a better year? That something good will come out for the unfortunate circumstance you just went through? You know, I, I, there's a study that says that hopelessness is growing in our younger generation. That every year, year after year, there's less to look forward to. There's less to be hopeful for. Less, there, there's, they're not hoping in a better tomorrow. And anxiety and depression is on the rise. But not just in those younger generations, in every generation. You know, I've, I know several people who are going through anxiety, depression. And I always ask, you know, where does your hope lie? Well, whether you consider yourself a Christian or believer in Christ or not this morning, where is your hope? In? 
Because you can be a Christian and still put your hope in the wrong places. You might, maybe you tried putting your hope in positive thinking, in different people, in, in, you know, the universe, whatever. And yet you still feel hopeless this morning. What a way to end the year, right? I promise it gets better. Well, church and my new friends who are here for the first time, I have some great news for you. There can be hope in your hardest days. There can be hope in a hopeless time. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that we get to just come together as one body to uh, sing to you, Father, to praise you, Lord, for all the goodness of this year, for all the good times, for all the bad times. We just are so grateful that we, can, that we have our hope in you, Lord. And Father God, as I go into this my message this morning, I pray that you touch the heart of everyone in this, in this room. I pray that lives will be transformed, Lord, because of your word. Not because of what I said, but because of what your word says, Father. And I pray, Father God, that as we leave today, that we can take hope into this hopeless world. We love you and we thank you. And everyone says, amen. amen. So, church, today we're going to be reading out of 1 Peter 1, uh, 3 to 9. I'm going to quickly read it, and then we'll break it down. The word of God says, actually, can we stand up in reverence of God's word? You guys don't mind. First Peter 1, 3 to 9 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Man, you may be seated. God bless his word. Now, I know I just read quite a bit, okay? And perhaps this is the first time you, you know, ever hear anything in the Bible and you're like, what did this guy just read? Well, let me break it down for you, okay? So Peter, he was one of the original uh, apostles, one of the original 12s, he's writing this letter to believers who have been scattered out of Israel all throughout what is now modern-day Turkey due to persecution. It is believed that this letter was written between 60 and 70 um, AD during the reign of an emperor called Nero. And if you don't know who that is, I encourage you to go read who he is. Um, But there was just massive and aggressive persecution on Christians at that time. And here, Peter first, he's writing to encourage them, and he starts by reminding them exactly who they are as Christians and how God has blessed them in Christ. So this is a letter of encouragement, of hope for these group of believers that are in just desperate times. He blesses God for his mercy because instead of punishment we deserve because of our sins, he gave us grace. God gave us something we could have never purchased or earned. He causes, it says he causes to be born again. And I'll explain what that means. He showed mercy, and mercy is when someone withholds a negative consequence that another deserves. 
And in turn, he gave us grace, which is when someone gives something positive, the other person does not deserve. And that was the hope of glory for eternity with Christ Jesus. Men, now I don't know about you, but those news that he gave us mercy and grace, they are a great reason to clap and praise God for. Amen? Amen. See, Peter is reminding them of that eternal hope we have in Christ. And it's easier said than done. Don't get me wrong. It's easier said than done. And he's telling them that amongst that persecution, among the pain that they, not possibly, but that they will, because again, there was an active, aggressive persecution against them because they followed Christ. He said amongst all that pain, all that suffering, amongst the face of death, that there could be hope because of what Christ did for you and for me, because of what Christ did for them. Hope in what Christ has done. There is a living hope through the sacrifice that Christ did on the cross for you and for me. Amen? And we just, we just partook of the elements in remembrance of that sacrifice. Now, why can I have and why can we have hope and encouragement in the most difficult days? That's the question I want to ask you this today. Why can I have hope? Why can you have hope and encouragement in the most difficult days? Because I don't know about you guys, but it's getting pretty difficult. I mean, it has been, but um, my, my coffee is not like $8, guys. Oh, my goodness. I remember about a year ago, I was still paying $4.50. It, it's almost like doubled. So, and I know that's very minimal, <laughs> but... Everything's on the rise, guys. Gas, everything. You know, and oftentimes what I've seen is when um, financial hardship comes, our character begins to break with that as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, it just happens. Why? Because oftentimes we put our, we put our hope in um, perishable things. We put our hope in things that all, can be destroyed. You know, in hope that, in things that can be taken away. And when that happens, our character, our mind follow. Right? But I'm here this morning to remind you that you can have hope and encouragement in the most difficult days. Because first and foremost, there is a living hope in Christ. Okay? What is that living hope? It says it, it's an inheritance of an eternal life with him. Salvation of your soul. Now, that is a big deal. Because I don't know about you, but I want my soul to be saved. And why, did, why am I starting here? Because, my friend, it has to start here. You have to understand what that hope is and believe in that hope before you can act appropriately and, and have hope in these times. See, I, because I can share with you all that God has done in my life, all the miracles he's worked out, um, all I can, I can share with you, this is why I'm joyful when this, my, my car broke down, when I got let go, because if you don't have the same perspective and hope as I do, you will try to um, give reasoning of, my, of that hope and joy with earthly things. You won't have that perspective. You'll try to give human reasoning, like I said, for, for my, the way I respond to tragedy. You won't understand and believe that God is in control of all things and he uses all things for his good. There was one amen. Thank you. And, 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 and like I said, it's easier said than done. But here, I, I want to show you a couple things. First, it tells us that we're supposed to have the hope, right? So first, you believe in that hope, right? And then you might be asking, well, how do I constantly keep my eyes fixed on that hope? Yeah. 
Well, I'm going to tell you this morning. See, Peter is telling us how the children of God should act and be in this broken, sinful, hopeless world. All the, the whole uh, two books of Peter, he's uh, telling them how we ought to live in response to what Christ has done. Not, you have to live this way to gain what Christ has done. No, no, no. We, we cannot get that twisted. He is telling us that we are supposed to stand out in this culture. Be different, but in a good way. Because we can be different in a weird way. We can, okay? I've seen those and I'm like, bro, like, I'm a Christian, but I don't know you right now. You can be different in a loving way, and you can be different by being a jerk and have this self-righteous attitude that you're no better. That is not the way we're supposed to be different, right? So this is, and I encourage you, it takes, if you, um, if you have the Bible app and you play, it'll read the whole first book of Peter in 15 minutes. I promise you, you have that time. Um, and you'll see, you'll be encouraged, and I, I challenge you to do it every day this week. And just see how reminding yourself of what, not that there might be tribulations and hardship, but that you can respond differently than this culture when you do face hardship, you will see that your perspective begins to change. Therefore, your actions begin to change. See, um, it means that you have peace and suffering. That's one of the biggest ways that we stand out. Okay, we stand out in the way we respond to uh, hard times through death, um, the way we respond to death in our family, um, the loss of a job. We stand out. We can, because if you respond just like them, then you're not special. You're not any different. Right? When you respond the same way that someone doesn't have the hope, then you're not standing out. Right? Verse 6. Check what it says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that there is purpose for the pain. It means that there is purpose for what you've been through. See, I, there, when, when growing up, that, that was one of the questions I would always ask myself. God, if you are so good, why do so many people suffer? You know? And the reality is that because we live in a broken, sinful world, there's going to be um, tragedy in this world. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be hurt. But when you go through something, God can use you to reach someone who's gone through the same thing. You can use you with someone who's gone through the same thing that does not have the same hope as you. There is purpose for everything we go through. And I know that can sound insensitive sometimes. Like, oh, dude, there's purpose in that. You know? But when you have this hope, when you really believe, you can see that it is true. And let's talk about our past really quick, okay? See, we can reflect on our past. In fact, you should reflect on our past. But you're supposed to dwell in the future. Because what happens is the past is, is when you reflect on the, the past. What, so I was doing this this week as I was preparing for this message. I started going through my whole year. And then I started feeling really disappointed on everything I didn't do. You know, um, on a, and then even disappointed on some of the stuff I did do. And I'm like, dude, come on, you know better. Right? And what happens is when you dwell there, Satan comes in and begins to bring shame. And says, you really think people have forgiven you for that? You really think God loves you because you did that? 
Satan doesn't have power over you now and for eternity. Christ already won. He beat the grave. So he tries to use the past to trip us up. But it's not all bad to, dwell, to reflect on the past. As I was sitting there, I found myself also crying and saying, Lord, you are so good. Yeah. I should have died. <laughs> like, I, I know that sounds dramatic, but it's like, dang, like, I don't know what I'm doing, and yet you are so good. I, am, I can be so disobedient, yet you are so loving and forgiving. Amen. So the past is great to reflect and look at the goodness of God. And, if, and it's also good to look at a circumstance you might have gone through and said, wow, God helped me overcome that. Yeah. And now I can use that as a testimony. But we, when you dwell, we begin to cripple. We begin to freeze in fear. There's, there's a, uh, a, uh, a quote I read that I really loved. And let me see if I find it really quick. Yes. If you measure everything by what hap- has happened in the past, you will never grow beyond it. So if you dwell and you measure everything about what you did and you forget about God's new mercies every day, you stay stuck and you never grow out of it. We anchor, um, in the next set of verses we'll read, it says we are to anchor our hope fully in the future, in that future hope, in that future promise of an eternal life with Jesus. Hope isn't wishful thinking. If this morning you're like, well, you guys have this wishful thinking. No, no, no. We have a confident expectation. That's good. Okay? Hoping isn't wishful thinking. It isn't like, oh, I hope I get the front uh, seat at church today. Or actually, no one wants to sit in the front, right? Let's use a more realistic one. Hey, I hope I get a, a, a parking spot close to the entrance of the grocery store. Or I hope I win the lottery tomorrow. No, that's just wishful thinking. Right? Or I hope I lose weight but not change my diet or exercise. Right? No. Not going to happen. What we have is a confident expectation, meaning there is absolutely nothing in this world that will change or affect that expectation of eternal life with Christ, that Christ promised. You guys got that? There is nothing that can change that. Verse 4 says, it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That gives me more than enough reason to always have hope. Why? Because that means nothing I do can take that inheritance away. That means that nothing anyone does can take that inheritance away. Why? Because we had absolutely nothing with gaining that inheritance. It It has everything to do with what Christ did. We need to understand that this is a gift. We need to understand that nothing you can do or say will earn it. Therefore, there is nothing that can take it from you. We have hope not because of who we are or what we have or haven't done. We have hope because of who he is. Amen? We have hope because of who he is and what he has done. Okay, so that is the what. We have this big what, the um, hope of eternal life and salvation with Christ. So now you might be asking, okay, well, then how do I obtain that? Right? You're like, you're, you're, you're painting this beautiful picture of this hope that uh, an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, um, and that no one can take away. But how do I attain that? Right? The scripture says that if you believe in your heart and confess in your mouth, you will be saved. It means that by believing in your heart, confessing in your mouth, you can partake in that eternal 
hope of glory. Amen? Now, I say this all the time, and I love that the Bible not only tells us how we should act, how we should be as believers, it also shows us how, and it tells us why. Isn't that awesome? It's not just like, here you go, dude, figure it out. No. God is very intentional in his word on to prepare us. Now, let's read 1 Peter 1, 13 to, uh, 1, 13 through 16 really quick. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will, be, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, I know I just scared some of you with this whole holy talk, right? I scared me when I was reading it. And I know there's a lot of other big words, but I'm going to break it down for you really quick um, because it's, it's so, it can be so simple when understood correctly. Now, our activity is response to what God has done. So everything he says here, prepare your minds, be sober-minded, set your hope fully, not partially, fully on the grace means that you don't give in to your, uh, conform to the passions of your former ignorance. All that is not a response to gain that hope. It's, it's a response because you have now, now have hope. Do you guys understand that? We don't do all this to attain anything. We do it because God has given, the, he, he did the greatest sacrifice by sending Christ on the cross. And he said, you have to believe. And because of that belief, you begin to change. Now, two ways. It, 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 if you look at here, it, there's, it tells us two ways. How, right? So first, you have to receive it. And then how do you constantly think about that hope in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulation, of pain? How do you actively do that? And I say actively because if we read this verse, it shows you action. It says, first, you prepare your minds for action means, and it's saying preparing. It doesn't say you prepare once, preparing, you continue. How do you prepare your mind for action? How do you continually, um, actively remember of that hope and of glory? By reading your word, right? By fellowshipping with others who believe the same. By fellowshipping with those in those hard times where they're going to uplift you and say, hey, I know it's hard, but I am with you. Christ is with you. You fellowship with those who will cry when you cry and rejoice when you rejoice. You actively um, prepare your minds. See, I love it that it says the battle is in the mind. Because what you think about, you care about. We can't control emotions, but we can control how we respond with those emotions. And that all begins in the mind. So when you're facing something um, head-on difficult... You can't control the circumstance, and you can't control that you're in fear, that you're feeling anxious, but you can control how you respond to that fear, anxiety, and depression. Amen? It says, and before it tells you how, it gives you a command. It says, set your hope fully. And that is so important. It doesn't say share your hope partially. Rely on yourself, but also on that promise. On that hope. No, 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 no. 
See, oftentimes we, we commit the same mistakes because when we do reflect on the past, we, we, we fail to see that God has showed us how to not fall into that again. You know, it shows us, it, when I was reflecting, I was like, oh man, I made a lot of the same mistakes. That's not God's doing it. We're quick to blame him. And when in God's word, he sets us up for success. It says, set your um, heart, your hope fully. See, sometimes we set, like I said earlier, we set our hope on things that will perish. And we say, God, you didn't come through. Well, I wasn't even relying on God. (laughs) Right? Because he who honestly says in the midst of pain or just throughout the day, Lord, I can't wait for the day of the resurrection when you will come back. No, right? But it says we, we're supposed to. How actively preparing your mind. And the next one's very important. It says being sober-minded. And being sober-minded here is not just saying don't be drunk. Because you can get full of what this world says instead of what the Bible says. You can be, your, your, your mind, your judgment can be clouded because you filled yourself with what social media says instead of what God's word says. And so when you're not preparing yourself, it's easy to get drunk on the things of this world. It's easy to forget that there is a better way. Now this is an encouragement for us believers as well because you can have that perspective, you can have that hope, but because we're not being sober-minded and actively seeking him, we forget one of the most common words in New Testament is remember because we forget so easily. The battle's in the mind. All this church is a response to what he has done. And then it says, no longer conform to the passions of your former ignorance. It means that before you didn't know him. Before you didn't know. So he doesn't hold that against you. But now because you do know what God did by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me, means now you have this new knowledge so your actions are different. Means you don't conform to, you, to when you were ignorant. I don't know about you, but that's awesome that he doesn't hold what I did against me. That in spite of everything that I've done, he still looked down through history and said, I'm sending my son to die on the cross for you, for you, for you. And how do we do that? There's a way to actively be prepared. And I'm going to end with, this is kind of, I swear I'm blinding the plane here. It's, how do we do that? It's, be holy for I am holy. Now that just sounds like a very scary word, right? But let me break it down for you. We're called to be holy. It means to be set apart. It means to be counterculture, right? Not cancel culture, counterculture. We're meant to look like our Father, which is God. We're meant to love like He does. We're meant to love what He loves and reject what He rejects. Amen? See, we should, and how do you do that? By hanging out with your Father. Thank you.
Because who you hang out with, you begin to look like. That's just reality. Have you ever seen people change depending on what uh, friend group they're in? That's what happens. And that goes in mind, that goes in, in hand with preparing your minds. When you're constantly preparing your mind and being sober-minded, you're walking alongside your father and you begin to look like him. When I hang out too much like my dad, I begin to do certain things that he does. When I begin to hang out with my brother, you know, he brings the worst that no, I'm kidding. Um, but you get the point, right? You begin to look like him, love like him, forgive like him. And back then, holy men. What temple you worship at means, oh, they're holy, so they go sacrifice here, they go sacrifice there. But what Jesus came and said, no, 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 we're taking that holiness outside of the temple and into this culture. Because this isn't, it doesn't matter if you're different here. It matters if you're different out there. It matters that you respond in love out there. Because it's easy to come in here and respond in love, even to people that mug you, Right? We're supposed to love each other. It's easy to love those that you love. It's harder to love those that are, have conflict with you. But that's what being holy means. It means being set apart, being different, acting different than how the world would respond. And what happens then is there is rejoicing in the midst of pain. Not when, not, not if, but when. It says, in, your, in this you rejoice. Thou know for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We got to understand that there is going to be pain. There is going to be suffering. But when you have this perspective, when you have this hope, you know that God is in control. And you know that none of it matters and that none of it is going to affect that inheritance that's waiting for you. Amen? See, I want to use this story. Kind of fits, kind of doesn't. So you tell me later if it did. Um, Whenever I'm going through a difficult situation, my car breaks down, or even at work, if I'm working and I'm struggling to accomplish a task, I have this um, encouragement. I have this, uh, this um, peace in me because I know that if I can't get it done, my dad's going to come and bail me out. And I'm talking about my, physical, my earthly father. When my car breaks down, I don't, honestly, I don't, I'm not like, oh, dang, my car broke down. First call I make, hey, dad, my car broke down. He's like, I'll get it fixed. And if he doesn't, he's like, hey, we'll figure it out. But you have this confidence and peace because you know your father will always come through. And what happens is when you begin to be holy, when you begin to be set apart, the culture sees it. It's like, hey, why is he acting differently? Why is he so different than how I respond? Hey, I just cursed this guy. Why did he just forgive me? Why did he respond in love? When we have our minds set in that hope, we become agents of hope in a hopeless world. I'll end with this story. At my old church, when I was growing up, I was 15 years old, 14, 15, 16, throughout those years. There was a, a, a brother named John Sanchez. And when I met him, oh my gosh, his optimism, his joy was so annoying. I just got to be honest. It, like, I was like, dude, can't you be upset one day? Like, come on, man. You know, but he would always tell me, Angel, I have this joy and I live like this because of what God brought me out of. Wow. 
And he began to tell me everything he used to do. And I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like God's grace is huge, right? And then you know what happened? He was the most uh, positive guy. He loved everyone. I mean, he, they would, him and his wife would take me out to eat sometimes. And he was actively being a tangible representation of Christ's love by the way he lived, by the way he acted. And then he got a brain tumor. And I'm like, surely that's going to knock down a notch. It didn't. He was like, in pain and suffering, I will rejoice because of where God brought me out of and because what he has promised. And then something miraculous happened. Tumor disappeared. Right? Then a couple years later, it came back. And he didn't make it. But before he passed, I remember... I remember he said, I thank God that even though the, um, the healing here on earth wasn't uh, complete, wasn't permanent, he gave me more time to share that hope that Christ gave me. And I will never forget that brother. I will never forget him because he says he gave me more time when he cleared that first round of, that first round of chemo, did his work. He said he gave him more time to share more hope into this hopeless world. He said, to show love to those who have never experienced love. Our hope doesn't change our circumstances, church. It changes us. Our hope won't, sometimes might change the circumstance, but it's meant to change us, our perspective, the way we act, and it's supposed to change the culture. I'm going to invite you to stand up. In this world that there's so much pain and suffering, I want to encourage you, be that agent of hope when you're going through hard times remember what Christ has done for you remember that where he brought you out of and praise him and be holy for he is holy be loving because he is loving now in this moment I want to ask you if you've never if you're like angel I've never received that hope I never even thought about it but I'm curious and I want it with every eye closed right now and you might still have questions, and that is okay. God isn't scared of your doubts. He isn't scared of your questions. And neither, neither is Pastor Micaiah, neither am I. We love them because we, can, we, can, we get an opportunity to show you what God's word says. So with all eyes closed in this moment, if you've never received that hope and you want to, and you're like, I want this hope going into this new year. It might not change where I'm at right now, but it, might, it will change the way I handle it. It will change the way I respond I want you to raise your hand right now. Because I want to pray for you. I see your hand. I see your hand. You can put your hand down. And if this morning you're like, Angel, I do have that hope. I want to pray for you. That you actively remember it in those midst of pain, in the midst of trial. I want you to raise your hand if you need prayer this morning. You're like, I want to be that agent of hope in this hopeless world. That is you. Raise your hand. Because I want to pray for you. Man, I'm going to pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much that you sent your, your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Because in spite of how we are, in spite of how we reject you, Lord, you still sent your son to die. Because you wanted to fix the relationship. And only you could fix that relationship, Father. And we thank you because you made a way. And I pray, Lord, for all those who are struggling 
um, in life right now, financially, spiritually, physically, whatever it is, Father, may they just experience the fullness of your love. May they experience the fullness of your presence, Father. But most importantly, may they set their hope in you. I pray for those who raise their hand, Father, to receive that hope for the first time. Praise God. Hallelujah, Lord. Pray, Father God, that now as a church, we come around them, Father, and help them through those times, Father. I pray that Southridge be a church that uplifts each other, that helps each other in through times of pain, so that people around us say, I want to be part of that community. And for those who raise their hand, Father, that they want to actively be agents of hope, I pray for them, Father. May they choose to follow you daily. May they choose to be sober-minded, not filling themselves up with this world, but filling themselves up with your word, Father, so that they can be a representation of who you are, Father. They can be a proper representation of your characteristics, God. This culture has a messed up image of who you are, Lord, but we're here to correct it, Father. We're here to show them that you are love, that you are peace, Father, that you are a a, a forgiving God and a God that blesses abundantly, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And all of God's people say. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.